Hi, this is Jason, lead pastor of Casper Line Church. Thanks for stopping by again to our weekly teaching podcast. We appreciate your support and your uh, desire to continue to hear us. Uh, this is our third week of working through the book of Revelation. Um, this is uh, Revelation chapter 4 and 5. We get a picture into the throne room. Um, we're going to start providing some other content out there just because there's so much to talk about with Revelation. We'd love for you to look at our app and uh, even our, web, our website, casperchurch.com, or go to the app store and look for uh, Casper Lines Church, download the app with the double C's. Reason being is uh, we're going to have more conversation happening there about Revelation. There's just some good discussion of things that you can't talk about on a Sunday morning. Or you can, but it, like you end up spending 70 weeks in one chapter. So we're, I'm trying to preach through it from an inspiration standpoint, and then we're going to have uh, some dialogue and even some study re- resources uh, on our app website or website. If you'd like to know more about Casper Alliance Church, you can go download those things. Look us up, casperchurch.com. Uh, or you can find us on socials, facebook.com forward slash Casper Alliance Church or instagram.com forward slash Casper Church. Hey, have a great week. We appreciate you. We're getting windows into... We had... Uh, we're blessed. I was blessed to have a, a mother and father-in-law uh, who had a cottage on Lake Huron. And it was right on this cliff uh, looking out into the lake. And uh, you, basically, you could stand in these different parts of the house, but every part of the house had a beautiful view of Lake Huron. But depending on where you were was, was how excellent your view was. Right? So if you're sitting in the TV room looking out, you would see Lake Huron and all its majesty and just the beauty of, of this just out, and it was like it was forever and ever and ever, right? And you had the, they had these gigantic picture windows that you, that you could look through and, and see Lake Huron. But in that view, in the, in the TV room, there was the distraction of the television. So we could see Lake Huron uh, through the lens of a Tigers baseball game. Because that was always on in the summertime we went, Tigers were playing. And so you could see the Tigers out of one eye, Lake Huron out of the other eye, and you would just kind of watch. But, but oftentimes during, throughout the day, it didn't matter who you were, in the, in the, whether it was us four, the Faisals, or my in-laws, we would move from the TV room to what we called affectionately in our household as the option room, which one of our kids named it when they were little. Like, this room has a lot of options. Let's call it the option room. And it's basically the sunroom. The sunroom had a different perspective on Lake Huron, a different view. It wasn't the best. But the wind blew through there, so it gave you kind of like that, you, you felt that lake air come through because you were, you were in the, the option room, and it had windows that you could open, okay? Different view, different, same picture, kind of, but different, right? It's kind of weird. Every day, at some point in, that fam, in our family time up at the cottage, we would go outside, and there would be this rocker that you could rock on the patio, the patio maybe the size of, like, you know, four foot by eight foot probably, and we would rock, and you could hear the water, and you could see the swimming rock, and you couldn't necessarily always see the swimming rock from the, from the living room, but you got a picture, a deeper picture, a larger understanding of how beautiful Lake Huron was. And we'd sit out there, and you could really smell the lake air, and you could feel it, and you could hear it now. Now, they had this, uh, and I don't know I'm going a long ways to tell you all this, but I was blessed, and this, but this is a picture, again, of, of what's happening in Revelation, not Lake Huron, but what's, what the writer is doing for us. Later on in the day, oftentimes, you would go down to, they had this uh, stair step, 
and it was, again, the, the cottage was on a cliff, and you would walk down to the lake, like, I don't know, 30 feet, 40 feet drop down to lake. Fun fact, one time a herd of cattle just went over the, the ridge because somebody got struck by lightning, and a bunch of cows went in Lake Huron. That's why you don't eat fish out of that area right there. I mean, then, but now you can. But you would go down and down to this dock right on the water, and you would throw rocks in Lake Huron. Same water, different view altogether. Different experience, different engagement, different le level of enjoyment, or even fear. Because oftentimes I would, we would step out on the rocks, and they'd be slippery, or we'd try to fish, or whatever, but like, there's a lot more going on down there, a lot more interaction, a lot more like, uh, potential. Uh, sometimes there were snakes down there, and you're like, you know, nobody likes snakes, especially from the water. It doesn't make any sense to any of us. And so it's a different view. Now, Lake Huron would run all across around the thumb, and you could go to all sorts of locations, and you'd get a different perspective, a different view of the lake, each showing you something new, something fresh, something to, to remind you of the lakes right there. Here's the deal. Revelation's written in the same way. Now, you all probably have that sort of experience in some sort of way, right? If you go to a different part of town, and you can see the mountain at a different part of town, it looks different, but it's, it's the same mountain. Revelation, we continue to open these windows to get this view of what God, what God is showing John, of a perspective, a different perspective, and it's changing, it's shifting, and it has different purposes every time. And it's continuing to remind you of those six things that I told you about. The sovereignty of God, the futility of Satan, the encouragement of the church, the, the focus on worship. It's to remind you of all of those things continually as you march through it. So what ends up happening when we get to like Revelation 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, we start to freak out because it starts to talk about all kinds of stuff that doesn't, it's weird. And even this is where we begin the weird portion. So let's listen to this. Now one other thing I need to, to remind you, this is important when we study Revelation and we're going to go a little bit more deep dive into it. Uh, I need you to come up with a couple different tools. I want to talk more about just Sunday school. Give some opportunities for you to engage in your own space, in your own mind. And to, in fact, to not be fearful of this, but to just dive crazy into this, right? Because I think that this is, this is the, probably, in my opinion, the least preached book, but the most important. And so we need, to, we need to deep dive individually as a church. And so, But when we're reading Revelation, you have to understand it from this viewpoint, I think. Well, I know. I'm telling you as I know. Revelation's written from an Old Testament prophet perspective. The symbolism and imagery that you read in Revelation, an Old Testament scholar would completely understand and see. Now think about this from a, a, from a church perspective. We don't preach on the Old Testament very often. In fact, I already made a joke about it. If, we, if I ever get to Ezekiel, it's a problem. We tend to focus on the things that preach well, preach easy, preach like the points are there for us. When we preach through Philippians or James or, or the Gospels, we, we, we capture Jesus and we're able to talk freely, easily, in a way that feels encouraging and comfortable. And we, we avoid things like uh, the back part of Isaiah. We love Isaiah 6 and we love the Christmas Isaiah and we love... We love the Easter Isaiah, but we kind of ignore the rest of Isaiah. And we love the cliche verses from Jeremiah, but we tend to ignore the rest of Jeremiah. And frankly, let's, uh, the new, every now and again, you'll see in a summer series where we're going to go through the minor prophets and we're going to, in, in churches, and like, yeah, sure, that's fun and stuff. But we really, really love to avoid the confusing prophecy because it's hard to preach. 
I would call it laziness maybe. But here's the deal. Revelation, John is writing from that perspective. It's apocalyptic in nature, but it's Old Testament prophecy in its wording. And you'll see that. We'll catch a glimpse today. All right, and let's do it. Revelation chapter 4. Then I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet glasses. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw the throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald, circle, an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and all had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. We sing that? You ever, anybody ever sang that before? Yeah, we've sang that before. From the, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like an, a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their six wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings were given glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Let's stop there for a second. Let's talk about the throne room. So there's two pieces here. There's the throne room, which is chapter 4, and then there's what happens in chapter 5, which is a picture of Jesus. But the throne room, if you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 1, we're going to read just a little bit of Ezekiel. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter, but you can see as I read this that John is, is taking the imagery that's happening in Ezekiel chapter 1 and, and applying it to what he's writing to the churches. Verse 4, As I looked, I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it huge, a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. There was a fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. From the center of the cloud came four living things that looked like humans, except that each had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet had hooves like those of a calf and shone like burnished bronze. Under each of the four wings I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings. The wings of each living being touched the wings of the being beside it. Each one moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. Each had a human face in front, and a face of the lion on the right, and a face of the ox on the left side, and a face of the eagle at the back. Each had two pairs outstretched wings, 
One pair stretched out and touched the other wings, the living beings, either side of it, and the other pair covered the body. They went in whatever direction the Spirit chose, and they moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. Again, we can see the picture here of, of John talking about these very things. Now, there's, there's some slight differences, but the imagery, the symbolism is still the same. Turn with me to Isaiah 6 really fast, and we'll, we'll do that one real quick. Isaiah 6, going the wrong direction. Isaiah 6. All right. We're going to see some similar things here. It was the year the king Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, attending with him mighty seraphim. Each had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and the two, they covered their feet, and the two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's army. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple, its foundations, the entire building was filled with smoke. Again, we get a picture of the throne room. So, why, why, why does this matter? Well, you need to understand what's going on in heaven right now. Revelation 4 is happening right now. In this very moment, there are wild things happening in heaven. Now, when we read it, we filter this through our, our human understanding, our mental kind of like what we can kind of put our hands on. We can't understand the whole, I see this thing that has all these eyes and all these wings. We don't understand what that looks like. And let me just give you a very simple uh, interpretation of that. There are, we can deep dive into it, and this is kind of what I need to do with you because I want to I do the high points and encourage you to go further and further and further. And I want you to, and, and I stole this quote, uh, let's... This is from Alistair Begg. Let's make the plain things the main things and the main things the plain things. Let's not get focused on everything that's going on, but let's dive deep into what, what God is trying to reveal or show to us. And what the, I'm going to give you in the throne room of heaven, everything is focused on God. Everything. There is nothing that we can imagine that is not focused on God. Now, there is all kinds of fun interpretation of what the ox and the lion and the human and the eagle and all of those things mean, and I think there's some validity to that to help us understand it. But here's the, 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 the brass text, the bottom line up front. Is, those things mean everything. Now, get a picture of that. When we start to, when we start to fetter out all these different, like, we're, we're beginning to focus on something and trying to decipher a code that I don't believe is really there. I believe what John is telling us is that in heaven, all of the things that are there are centered and focused on God. And that's it. That in the throne room of heaven, there is one powerful thing that every, everyone points their attention to. And what the response to that is, this is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God trumps everything. Every single thing. Thing. And I think there's a larger lesson there that we're going to take at the very end, kind of when we land this plane here. The kingdom of God, who is the king of the kingdom of God? And it's God. And so the crazy creature with all the eyes, he worships the Lord. The crazy creature with the human face and the, and the eagle wings and the talons, he worships God. All of the elders who we have no idea who they are, they have numbers and the numbers matter because there's the symbology going on there. And this is where, I, again, we need to deep dive into that outside of this kind of inspiration point. They're all focused on God and who He is. The kingdom of God 
This is the throne room of the Creator of everything. So everything there is subject to His voice, to His Word. And the only response, the only response that everything in that room can do is say, you are worthy, O Lord. You receive glory and honor. You created all things. And they exist because you created them and because you were pleased to do it. So here's what's going on in this very interesting Revelation 4 and 5. Is there, there is a picture of the beginning and the end here. There is a Garden of Eden uh, picture happening where God was in complete authority and everything in, in the creation was giving back praise and worship to Him. Right? This is what's happening here. You created it all. This is where like, uh, the rainbow symboli- sim- symbology there is beautiful. Where do we see the rainbow? After God got so angry, He killed everything. And He, re- he made a covenant. And He showed... So that you see here that God is restoring. And He's going to begin to show how He's going to restore His creation over the next 10 chapters, 12 chapters. But He's saying here in heaven, when John gets to take a picture gets to see into heaven when he gets that view when when john opens the gets the window open for him and he gets to view in and see the throne room all what he sees is the kingdom of god and everything in it pointed at him this is why paul writes every knee will bow every tongue will confess we interpret that as every human everything will bow the trees of the field will clap their hands Everything in creation will bow before God in the throne room. This is the picture that John is trying to get the church to understand. In heaven right now, this is already happening. If you're not getting goosebumps, this, you need to focus your attention on the Lord because in heaven right now, crazy worship is going down. There's things with wild eyes that don't make sense to our minds and our understanding. But it's all giving attention to God. Things that would rule this earth. Things that if, if, if an eagle, fate, uh, oxen, human, lion showed up, we would go, oh, there's Jesus. We're backing off. That thing is worshiping God. That's the picture that we're given here. That's the thing that we have to grab a hold of and go, okay, if, if this will worship God, what should I do? I bet this thing breathes fire too. And can cast spells. And do all kinds of nutty stuff. That's happening in heaven right now. You aren't the only ones worshiping in heaven when you go to heaven. Heaven is not about you, Susan. (laughs) Quiet. Many times in our walk with the Lord, we make the journey with Him about us about my discomfort, about my frustration, about what I got, what I need, what above, 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 my wants. You are not the only one in heaven. And to say that, 
is to limit the work of Christ. To have an attitude there is to suppress what Jesus did on the cross. Let's go into chapter 5 and get a picture of that. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then, this is John, I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping! Look! The lion! The tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if he had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp with which they held the gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. They stopped the song that they were singing and they started this new song just in unison which makes me believe that we're just compelled to sing. We're com- we don't have a... When you're there, this is what's going to happen. And it's actually happening right now. You are worthy to take the scroll and break it in its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and blood has ransomed people for God in every tribe and language and every people and nation. This song doesn't rhyme, by the way. And you were caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on earth. Then again I looked and I heard the voices of a thousand and a million of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. And the 24 living beings said, and the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb. See, John's going through this crisis. He's saying, Who's going to do this? And, he's in, and, and in the throne room, he's walked through the steps of how this is happening. What is happening? And who is worthy to open this? And forever and ever and ever, we've, the, the people of Israel, the Israelites have like, when's the mighty Messiah going to come and capture and take back our lands? And it was shocking when it came at the humble Jesus Christ. But this is the picture of what the Scriptures are teaching. That Jesus The lamb was slaughtered. But here's here's a fun symbol. He's not just a slaughtered lamb. He's not just a weak vessel. He has horns. He's a a conquering, victorious, mighty ram who takes back all that God created. Now understand this. Not just souls. not Not just people. But He takes back all. Everything above the earth, under the earth, on the earth, the earth itself, he takes it back and says, this is mine. And I was created for it. 
and I've died for it, and I'm going to own it, and you will worship me. And then in the hierarchy of heaven, the 24 elders, the four crazy beasts, what do they do? They bow to worship him. They get down. So, again, what's happening here, you see this kind of interesting progression. Let me show you a picture of what's happening in heaven right now. Now let me show you a picture of who owns heaven. We're all trying to get there. We all want to get there someday. Revelation has shown us what's going on there right now. Now, in Revelation 4, you see the 24 elders. I, I think, I, the, to make my final points here, I know I'm just like over top of all of this stuff, right? The 24 elders in heaven, worshiping, they lay something at the throne. What do they lay? Their crown. They lay everything that gives them status, that gives them leadership, that gives them ownership, that gives them place. They surrender their kingdom for the kingdom. And I think this is the point for us today. Here's what happens and why we get so discouraged and I think why we tend to ignore this picture of heaven is because we are consumed with creating our own kingdom. Let's flash that first little slide up there, Mark, if you would. Your throne room, which you are constantly creating, is nothing. It's nothing compared to the throne room of heaven. Now think of all the things that we're trying to own and consume and have as we walk this earth. I think that in, in my interpretation, I think what's good for us right now is to understand that heaven is happening. You've been invited to participate. The one who owns it is Jesus. And our resistance towards entering into it is our rebellion and us trying to create our own little throne room. We are trying to own this little piece of dirt and call it ours. So when you feel it, and I'm not trying to diminish any of this. I'm not saying let's fast forward to death and go to heaven. I'm saying that we, we work hard to try to manage our expectations, to try to manage our emotions, to try to manage our consumption, to try to manage our stuff so that we're comfortable. And you see the 24 elders in heaven who already have status, who are sitting right next to the throne room, of, who are sitting right next to the throne where God sits, surrender their status, surrender their stuff, surrender everything and, and voluntarily, maybe involuntarily, begin to praise God and say, you are the only one with glory. You're the only one with honor. You're the only one with power. You're the only one with authority. Who am I to say that I have authority or kingdom or power or this crown? When we, when we step into a relationship with Jesus like that, He not only just becomes our Savior, becomes our king and conqueror and our lord so that we surrender all that we are all that we have all that we want and say it's yours you can have it because i'm i have this throne room that's nothing i'm setting up my little kingdom that's going to fail i've worked tirelessly for 40 years to create my own little kingdom and every day i realize i'm bad at it and we do all do the same thing. Because I don't know, we're human. This is the great cataclysmic event of creation versus the end. 
Adam and Eve were given a kingdom, the presence. And from the very beginning, they said, or they were deceived and said, let me try something a little bit different. Let me give it a different kind of, what's the next slide say? When you try to create your own kingdom and you try to rule it, there's a fun word in the Bible that that's called. Sin. That's sin. The wages of sin is death. Death is separation from God, correct? When you try to have your own kingdom in your own throne room, it cannot coexist with God's kingdom and His throne room. That's rebellion. That's sin. That's pervasive in the church. This is the very thing that the beginning part of this book was all talking about when the letters, you need to repent and overcome and look away and turn away from the sin because it's going to draw you into the depths of hell. And you will not be able to get out of it. You will not be victorious or overcome and you will not get to experience the fullness of chapter 4 and 5. You will get to see it and you will have an opportunity to bow and worship and then the bad stuff starts to happen. But that's the point. When we try to create our own kingdom and we try to rule it, we're sinning, we're rebelling against God. We're rebelling against the very creation. No, I can do it better. I have a better plan for my life than you do. The wages of that sin is death. The wages of of rebellion is death. That's why repentance is critical. To turn and run. That's why last week I said we are way too comfortable with our own sin. We get way too comfortable and be like, "Eh, all right, next slide, and this is the last one. So if if we had a week of lectures and we could do it and I could invite a way more talented communicator and Bible scholar, one of the things that they would unpack for us was that God's power not only liberates human life from bondage and transforms life from old to new, it's going to restore everything by God's power and his power alone. This is when you go into heaven and you see people just automatically worshiping and bowing and dropping and everything in there. That's, this is what God's power does. It restores all things. Old to new. He st- and I'm telling you, there is a beautiful connection that, I, that from creation to revelation that is purposeful in the Scriptures. To where when it was created, it was good and it was right and and our rebellion caused harm and disruption and fracture and distance and separation from the presence of God. And the story of the book of Revelation is how that is going to violently be fixed. I'd invite the worship team to come up. We're going to do a closing song. I want to explain a couple things and then we're going to close. Um, there's this, has anybody separated their shoulder before? Anybody done that? It's fun, right? 
In order to, to have the separated shoulder fixed, there's a violent action that happens as a result. Your shoulder gets out of socket, some jabroni comes along and goes, bam, and puts it right back into socket, or you end up having surgery, and there's some sort of violent action that happens. When your heart begins to fail, and you have issues in your heart, or you have a heart attack, there's a violent action that the surgeons need to, to take in order to restore your heart to life. Anytime things break, violence is followed to fix it. Repentance isn't supposed to be easy. Repentance isn't supposed to be this comfortable experience, right? And so what we're going to do, and this has been a heartbeat of mine for, for, I don't know, 20 years, is, and maybe this is just a little bit of the uh, Bapticostal in me, or the, you know, the, the kind of the charismatic side. I want to be like this high, deep, and, and like the, the crazy stuff, but like enough to climb out of the pool. But one of the things that I think the church needs is a, an ability to respond. And I don't know, I have lots of ideas on how that looks, right? And right now, our version of that would be, uh, I, and in fact, because of this, I want to leave these seats always clear from now on. You guys have figured out, the closer you sit, the more of your head is on the TV. But like, we want to leave these, these front rows clear so people can come and pray. And the way in which I think we're going to do this from, until somebody teaches me a better way is we're going to do worship at the end. That's an altar call or a, an opportunity to come, and it's going to give our elders an opportunity to pray with you, and it's just going to perpetually happen at our church to where we want to see God move because I believe there has to be some sort of violent action in the soul in order for you to experience uh, true participation in the kingdom of God. There's no more just kind of easing our way into it. I think the Revelation 6 through 18 is going to show us this. That in order to restore creation, there has to be some pain. And for so long, um, we've just tried to be comfortable with the pain enough to just go, Jesus is okay, he's good, he saved my soul. And I, I want to be, move beyond that. I think it's a time to move beyond that. Now here's the deal. The song that we're going to sing...